welcome to your Actors Agri-Food podcast. I'm Julia Dam. I'm Natasha Fitt. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Actors Agri-Food news team. This week, celebrating European food and sustainable food systems. Welcome back for another episode of the Euractives Agri-Food podcast. And it uh, makes a nice change from last week. Indeed. Where I was solo and now there's all of us here. So yeah, including, including Julia, as Tash said uh, last week, Julia has moved to Brussels. <laughs> so this is a message for the Brussels stakeholders. Just don't bother us only. Like, I mean, you have our mail now, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let's share this burden. I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> of course. I'm joking, of course. Feel free to contact us. Uh, but yeah, Julia is now particularly on board here in Brussels. So Yeah, very happy to be in the room. Yeah, and also, yeah, uh, today we're going to talk about two modest proposals. Modest proposals, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, tomorrow is Europe Day. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an important day. I think it's true. Do you remember that we had these sound effects? I think we should have one button that just plays European an- anthems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we should, yeah. I still like the natural effects, like... Uh, the, the spontaneous. Yeah, the one that we... Still probably made. not going to sing an anthem. That's a no. bit far, isn't it? But what is Europe's Day? Uh, it marks the anniversary of the historic... Schumann Declaration. So we know that Robert Schumann is uh, is a founding father of the EU, and uh, there was this declaration in 1915, uh, 1950, sorry, uh, where he set out this idea for a new form of political cooperation in Europe after the uh, World War II, uh, which then led to the creation of the European Coal and Steel Community in 1951. So this. Uh, uh, was the creation of the first European community. Uh, by the way, there's uh, another Europe Day. I don't know if you know that. but There's two Europe Days. Yeah, the Council of Europe actually celebrated Europe Day on the 5th of May. I did not know that. So, yeah, which is when the Council was actually founded, which ah. is quite self-referential. I like the, the British monarchy. They have two yeah. birthdays. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Queen. Well, yes, there was no also longer the, the Queen. But. There was also the coronation, so it's good to know to refer to <laughs> both sides of the, like last week episode, both sides of the Green Deal, both sides of Europe. There's uh, definitely one I'd prefer to celebrate more. Yeah. I yeah, wouldn't say yeah. which, but absolutely. For sure, that. we're not going to celebrate <laughs> the one uh, from Council of Europe. I'm sorry for uh, our listening from Strasbourg because it's too self-preferential, as I said, uh, mm. when Council of Europe was founded. The point is that we realize there's no food associated to with this celebration. Which is unbelievable. May. That's really bad, guys. Yeah. I mean, how you can celebrate without even a proper food? Yeah, because food's at the heart of, like, all of our major celebrations. Think of, like, Easter, Christmas, Europe Day. Europe Day. (laughs) (laughs) From now on, Europe Day. (laughs) And we started thinking, what could be a food that might be linked to this day or to the idea of Europe, no? And the problem is that, basically, the European heritage, I mean, it's quite big and uh, and also quite localistic. So most of the food has very rooted national, if not regional, traditions. Mm. Nonetheless, there is something that could be linked to a foundational moment of the EU integration process. Mm-hmm. Which is, this is where we need the drum roll. No. No? No Because drum roll? Uh, I'm going to oh, develop hype okay, in okay. I see. I'm about to tell this story. Brace yourself for a journey down memory lane of Europe's integration. Oh, bedtime story. Yeah, 
It's going to be very long. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. In uh, 2004, the then 25 member states of the European Union signed the treaty uh, establishing a constitution for Europe, also known as uh, TCE or just the European Constitution. Little trivia. Mm -hmm. 25 member states. Which member states didn't sign because they, were, they weren't actually in the EU uh, at the time the uh, constitution, the European Constitution? Three member states. This is difficult. <laughs> Because you're very young too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're technically a millennial. No, we are millennials. We're, we're millennials. She's Gen Z. Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z. Technically, yeah. at least. Wow. Hold on, which year are we talking about again? 20, well before uh, your time. 2004. Yeah. Oh, okay. Three member states were in there. Sounds uh, like something the UK would do. <laughs> no, no, the UK was already there. And uh, I'm talking about Bulgaria and Romania. Uh huh. Who joined in 2007 oh, and course. Croatia in 2013. I see. But unfortunately, something went wrong in the ratification process, and uh, and the treaty was actually rejected by both French and Dutch voters in May and June 2005. So uh, this European Constitution was actually downgraded to an update of both the Maastricht Treaty, which is which was signed in 1992, and the Treaty of Rome from uh, 1957. So the Reform Treaty signed in 2007 was basically a merger of these two treaties. And uh, as I said before, it was a downgrade. For instance, any strong reference to uh, European uh, symbols or European values was scrapped uh, after this uh, fail, uh, failure of uh, getting approved in referendums in France and, and the Netherlands because of this reason. Just to make an example, uh, the External Relations Commissioner The reference to an external relations commission was scrapped because it was, you know, it sounded like foreign affairs ministers. Uh, and uh, this is something that the member state uh, didn't want to give up. Mm. Um, and it's also the reason why we have this mysterious uh, uh, high representative uh, role. Like, I mean, Borrell at the moment is, is the foreign affairs Commission, Which sounds like a title that could be from Game of Thrones. Yeah, the high representative. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And it was also, this is actually interesting because we are about to create a new symbol in Europe, but it was scrapped oh, apart. It's very humble today. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. It was scrapped apart that would have created these European symbols in the EU treaties. Uh, so uh, now the Reform Treaty contains just a declaration by 16 member states uh, supporting the symbols. Anyway. This reform treaty is also, I mean, it's commonly known with the name of the city in which was signed because they did it in Lisbon. Mm -hmm. Now, why they did it in Lisbon? I was quite of a random choice. It's just because the, there was quite the... Quite beautiful there, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Portuguese presidency was the one, <laughs> the rotating presidency at that time, and they picked uh, um, the nicest venue that they have. But here comes the first surprise. The Lisbon treaty wasn't actually signed in Lisbon. Da, da, What? Da. That is you a misnomer if I've ever heard one. You heard me. It was, I mean, it was in the Lisbon municipality, but it's actually in the parish of Belém. Okay. It's a bit like, you know. Well, fair enough. I mean, the treaty of somewhere near Lisbon doesn't yeah. not got the same a, ring as Indeed, it. indeed. Mm. It's not the same uh, vibe. I know. And also Lisbon is uh, it's quite of a, like, I mean, a recognized brand uh, everywhere in Europe and, and in the world too. So, um, of course, 
the president is the presidencies always try to pick the best place to host uh, a big uh, event. Uh, I think the French presidency picked Versailles for the like uh, some months ago for the um, uh, their European Council when they they were dealing with mm. the uh, Russian uh, sanctions and so on. And of course, the 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 Portuguese Portuguese presidency pick the Mosteiro dos Jerónimos, which is a monastery of Hieronymite monks, Hieronymite <laughs> monks, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh, which is very important for the the Portuguese history because uh, it was the burial place of the uh, place for uh, the Portuguese royal di- dynasty, and also it was uh, uh, erected uh, quite close to the launch launch point of Vasco da Gama first journey. So it's it's about also. History of Portuguese explorers. No, it's also a, a UNESCO World Heritage. Uh, super beautiful. Uh, if you haven't. Do you there. work for the? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there's another reason why this monastery is famous mm-hmm. in the world, and it's because these monks. I'm not gonna say again the uh, order, but <laughs> <laughs> these monks created before the 18th century. The recipe, the secret recipe of a world-known tart pastry, hmm. which is the pastel de nata. Oh. Or pastéis de nata. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I, everyone actually have tasted the, the pastel de nata. Maybe I not see. everyone. I feel like I was quite late to the game. Ah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I've, I have had one, but... I think I t- first tasted it within the last two or three years. Yeah, or me not too. Before. Interesting, me interesting, too, yeah, yeah. interesting. In Brussels, I think I in had my Brussels. first pass. In Brussels, because in Brussels there's a very strong Portuguese community. There is, yeah. And um, and it's, it's very tiny, like uh, custard tart. Uh, so uh, it's interesting that uh, when the monastery was closed because it was uh, secularized, uh, the recipe was sold to this sugar refinery that is really next to the monastery. And, and there's there is still today the original fabrica de pastéis de Belém, which they they keep the original recipe apparently in a secret room, uh, but mm. it's still I mean you still go to Belém and buy uh, the original pastel de nata, and it's normally served with a bit of cinnamon and uh, the bica, the strong espresso coffee uh, that Portuguese like. So to conclude our history, we really haven't found. Something better, <laughs> like I mean, in terms of strong connection than this one. We can even say that the the spirit of these monks guided these signatories of the Lisbon problem and guided this podcast and guided this podcast. <laughs> so um, this is the launch of our is the official launch of our campaign. So what you're saying is. Yes, pure invention of tradition. <laughs> like, uh, well, Com- every tradition has to have yeah. its roots somewhere. Might as well be the Euractive Agri podcast. Why not? Indeed. And so basically every Europe Day from starting now on, with this, yeah, starting, starting now, from tomorrow. Start, starting tomorrow. Just have a pastel de nata. Everyone. Yeah. It's yeah. good. It's cheap. It's actually cheap. It is. Yeah, it's very reasonably priced. Uh, I think it's quite spread everywhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, celebrate Europe Day with a good pastel de nata. So we've talked about the Europe Day, so let's um, zoom out of the calendar a bit and we're going to talk about a European year next. Uh, so 
first of all, what actually is a European, European year? European <laughs> year, indeed. Uh, I don't know when it started, but uh, for instance, this year is the European year of skills. Yeah. Very, in, like, I mean, very mysterious. It's, no, it's, it's just one syllable and then you can make of it what you will. Yeah, 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 indeed. It's, it's very catchy. Uh, basically, the commission kind of, uh, uh, you know, elect one year, uh, the current year, uh, and it dedicated to a certain topic. Mm, kind of a theme for the yeah. for the year. Like, for example, I remember during COVID, the, it was European year of trains with people that were basically... <laughs> It happened. That's the. I mean, we're not uh, making jo uh, jokes about it. And for instance, the European Year of Skill was announced in the uh, during the speech, the annual speech of von der Leyen, the State of the Union, uh, in Strasbourg in September. And uh, there's actually a, an actual trilogue. Like uh, it's a political proposition from the. It's a legislative proposition from uh, proposal from uh, the Commission, and the two lawmakers have to agree on that. Mm. And so imagine you're planning your birthday and with your friends first up, you have to agree what should be the theme for the birthday Indeed. party. Everyone Indeed. has to uh, to vote. You have to have talks. Yeah, yeah. But there's one of your friends that has the power to propose, you know. Mm. So everyone in every circle of friends, we have a commission, we can say. <laughs> Tell but. us in the comments, who in your circle of friends is the commission? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are you in your circle of friends? And uh, for instance, uh, it's also true that there some proposals arrive on the table of the commission. For instance, the European Parliament voted a resolution in March, ask, uh, it was a resolution on a bike, like uh, how to relaunch the, the use of bikes and so on. And one of the main uh, proposal of this call was to uh, have some kind of uh, European year of the bike in 2024. But there are also other MEPs uh, that are actually proposing something different. Um, they're proposing to devote 2024 to sustainable and resilient food systems. This was uh, an initiative by uh, a coalition of, MEP of MEPs uh, and actually the European Food Forum, which is uh, uh, um, a group in the European Parliament, uh, not only with the European Parliament, but also with uh, stakeholders. So it's a, it's a uh, mixed, let's say, uh, group uh, in in the, in the European Parliament, um, actually in the institutions. Uh, and uh, yeah, and we actually have with us today uh, the first signatories of this uh, call. It was a letter that was sent to, of course, the president of uh, the commission, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, and several commissioners from Timmermans to Breton to Kiriakides to Wojciechowski. So we're here this week uh, with MEP Irene Toyeren. Thanks for being with us. Hello, very happy to, uh, to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and we're, we were actually um, talking about this uh, proposal of a European Year uh, for a Food Sustainable System. Can you tell us a bit more about this initiative? I think that uh, at the moment, uh, every European uh, faces uh, uh, the stress of the climate change on uh, the food 
but also the stress linked with the uh, war of Ukraine with the rise of the price. So at the same time, we uh, face uh, shortages that are linked with uh, uh, the uh, climate change. And at the same time, uh, we have uh, uh, higher prices for the food. I think that uh, food is a basic need of uh, the individuals and uh, a lot of migrations are also linked to, for instance, parents who are afraid not to be able to to feed their children. So uh, food is essential. And I think that especially because we face this poly crisis at the same time, we really need as European to deliver. And how to deliver on having more sustainable food, but for every European. One of the risks of uh, the farm-to-fork strategy is uh, to split our food into the foods for the elite, that would be good for the environment, good for everything, and then imports with lower price, that would be for the people who don't have enough money. So I think that the access to quality food, both good for the health and the environment, should not be the privilege for a happy few that live in urban cities. It's a fundamental right of every European to have access to a sustainable food. So I think it's very important in a European year that we uh, uh, talk about uh, how to improve and have concrete actions to make sure that we develop more sustainable food systems in Europe. And again, um, we've seen a few different uh, European year of access uh, during the past few years. So, for example, this year, it's the European year of skills. Yes. So let's say um, we do see a European year of um, sustainable food systems. What are some key priorities, some key aspects that you'd like to see touched on during that year? I think at the moment, uh, one of the key priorities I would uh, really like us uh, to invest on uh, is uh, the subject of uh, food waste, because uh, uh, we waste uh, something like 30% of what we eat, which means that uh, at the farm side, uh, the uh, some uh, food is uh, already thrown away because it doesn't meet uh, certain uh, standards of uh, the supermarkets. So uh, it's very important that from the farm to the consumer, we uh, investigate uh, where are the places where we waste the more food and exchange on the best practices that ex exist in Europe so that uh, we uh, eat this waste, uh, either us as a human or uh, either for the animals. Um, why do I say that? Because if we waste 30%, if we manage to eat this 30%, it's, uh, it has a direct impact on the price uh, of the food for the uh, Europeans. And it helps us be more uh, sustainable. Uh, of course, uh, uh, another uh, issue uh, will be uh, the dates on the packaging, because At the same time that uh, we have this crisis, we have uh, more and more Europeans that are in need of uh, uh, food uh, through uh, uh, charities. And a lot of uh, companies can give uh, some food to uh, the charities, but uh, they uh, give 
food uh, that is uh, after the selling date and before the consumption date. In some countries, uh, we have different rules. So we really need to have a, a European text on uh, the correct date so that all the European food charities can uh, uh, develop and, um, and, and give the food to the people in dire needs. That's two concrete examples, for instance. Yeah, and it, it's actually, it's true because at the moment uh, we only have EFSA recommendation. We don't really have some kind of uh, uh, legislation when it comes for the date marking. Uh, it's one of the uh, main pitfalls when it comes to labeling in Europe. Uh, just have a last question, uh, and it's about, uh, um, le let's assume that this initiative is going through and we're going to have a, uh, a European year in 2024 uh, dedicated to sustainable and resilient food systems. It's also uh, an important year for Europe because it's the um, year of the European elections. So uh, what we what we are seeing as as uh, observers is that food uh, agriculture is becoming more and more uh, a topic uh, in the electoral campaigns. Uh, it's always been like this, but particularly like we've seen in the Netherlands, but also um, a, a kind of push, even in terms of uh, topics at the political level, uh, the, the French government, for instance, but also the Italian government. So I just want to know uh, more about your take uh, about this uh, current trend of uh, politicization, politicization, I don't know yes. exactly this one, uh, of the food topics. And if this could become a, a, an issue, uh, not an issue, but I mean a, a topic during the electoral campaigns. Uh, this is why we really need to have uh, this uh, theme of uh, 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 residuals and food system in the electoral year, because the best way to depolitize food is to talk concretely about it and what is happening. Climate change is not a political issue. It's something that when I'm speaking to you uh, at the same time in Spain, there, because of the drought and the heat, there is a, a very big question on the quantity of food they are going to be able to produce. So it's not a political issue, it's a fact and we need to deliver because people need to be secure on the fact that they have food today, they will have food tomorrow, and that the uh, food that they have today and tomorrow will be the best possible food for their health and for the environment. We need to secure, and this is the role of the European Union to uh, lead the world on that. Because when we talk about food, we talk also about adaptation. For instance, uh, maybe some uh, uh, things that we eat at the moment we will not be able to cultivate them in five or 10 years. So maybe there are replacement uh, foods that we can grow uh, at uh, uh, the same pl uh, place. Uh, for instance, uh, um, uh, some uh, fruits uh, that are uh, grown in the south of Europe, maybe uh, we will need to uh, grow them in the north of Europe. So all this uh, exchange on what is happening uh, what are the good things and what are the risks? I think it's the best way to depolitize uh, food. So uh, the uh, European Year of 
sustainable food system with very concrete actions and uh, exchanges on uh, how uh, uh, to have organic, uh, local vegetables in the school for my kids. Uh, and, uh, and and make uh, 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 tastings of uh, uh, European uh, uh, pasta or, or a contest of European sausages. Uh, all this, we help uh, everybody understand that the food topic is a major topic that we need to deliver because we need to eat and that we have the climate change plus the political uh, uh, crisis, but that it's with Europe that we will be at the rendezvous. It's not with uh, a nationalist uh, uh, response. It's by being united in our uh, diversity. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for your time and thanks for having me with us. So that's all from us this week. Uh, this week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by Euractiv's AgriFood news team. That's Rada Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Abby Chiori. And this podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU, from Euractis AgriFood team. Uh, I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. <laughs>